Welcome to the Becoming Eva podcast, where we discuss real-life issues from a woman's perspective. Becoming Eva seeks to break the silence within the female community while fostering authenticity, transparency, and healing. We're We're your hosts, Latoya Moore and Maya Dawson. Let's get started. Good morning, Becoming Eva fans, and welcome to episode number three. We're talking about skin today, everything from skin care and colorism. How are you ladies doing today? Pretty good. Yeah, it's a good day. Yay. That's very good. Transitioning into fall. So, okay, uh, let me ask. I know 2020 has been interesting. And uh, now, you know, with, with everything going on with the pandemic and everything, how has quarantine life been? Let's let's see how, I guess the question is, how are you quarantining? <laughs> I will say that for me, quarantining has been quite an experience. I feel like there, it just is a very reflective time. Like you can't help but to be introspective and look at yourself. And and I was talking to someone yesterday about how you're second guessing how you're communicating. Like I'm finding that I'm like doubling back. Was my face looking crazy on that video conference? Like did, did it come across appropriately? And I'm finding that people are getting kind of offended a little bit, not necessarily by me, but just in general, because mm-hmm. we're starting to learn how to communicate again virtually yeah, right yeah. virtual communication is different from when we're face to face and we can see all the nuances of, of it so um but i would just say it's been a period of introspection for me like mm-hmm. we certainly have been doing our part wearing our mask and um just you know doing what we're supposed to do but i in addition to all of those things i would say it's been just very reflective and and, and relearning some things that we you thought you learned already yeah <laughs> Now, who are you quarantining with for those that do not know? Okay, so I'm quarantining with my husband, um, um, Dr. Ernest Fricks. He's pretty amazing to quarantine with. Uh, now we started off with a, a, a long-term house guest, but that's still that's since transitioned, uh, and that was also a great experience because I got to know her in a way that I probably would not have. So I mean, it's just he and I here, and. Awesome, awesome, and I always have to say because we're 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 definitely an extension of track stars physically and like metaphorically. But all that to say, uh, her husband is also known as the amazing Rick Sincere. So <laughs> also over MTMD Sports. So uh, both of them are very near and dear to our hearts. So and then we have the amazing Dr. Antoinette Lander. So I was going to ask, first of all, um, can you share with us how your quarantining has been? We'll do the official introduction shortly, but how your quarantining has been and if you're quarantining, quarantining with anyone. Yeah, so uh, believe it or not, I'm teaching in the classroom. Um, University of Missouri, um, some classes are online and others are in person. Um, So we are, you know, one of those SEC schools who want to play football and here we are. So um, I teach a course (laughs) on race. And so instead of going online, I really um, enjoy meeting my students face to face, building rapport with them. And it's sometimes it's hard to do on Zoom initially. So I said, well, I think I'm in good health. So I will mask up and go into the classroom. Wow. Um, <laughs> so my quarantine has been somewhat quarantine, but not really mm-hmm. um, because I'm, I'm teaching and I'm on campus. Um, but I would say for me, just in general, that um, I have spent probably the last uh, four or five months really trying to encourage 
myself, family, um, friends, my students, to really think about kind of in spite of all the things that we're going through, the trauma, the killing of black, um, black folks and the mm -hmm. shooting in the back of black folks, right? All of those things um, and coronavirus and how it's impacting the black community. So mm -hmm. yeah, we're experiencing all this, we're experiencing trauma, but even in spite of that, we have joy, like black joy. And so I've been in trying to, um, in times where I have laughter, which happens often for us, right? Um, at times when I have laughter with my girlfriends, or we're looking at Black Twitter and someone has these creative jokes and things, and it's like, we're ha, ha, ha. And it's like those times that it's where I really need to, in those moments, say, wow, like, yeah, there's all these things going on, but boy, do Black people know how to laugh and be joyful and have gratitude? Amen. And so that has been my, um, what I've been doing in quarantine, but not really in quarantine. Yeah. We are resilient. We have to be. Yeah. So yeah. amen yeah. to that. And that Black joy is resilience. Yeah. It is. It yes. Is. It very much so is. <laughs> so Toy, you want to do our official uh, introduction so everyone learns more about the background of our special guest? So I have the pleasure of first introducing Miss Crystal Ricks. She is an educator and a self-proclaimed lifelong learner who is committed to changing trajectory of the lives of the children and teachers she is blessed to serve. She has committed her life to educating the next generation and becoming the best version of herself despite the obstacles and hardships she has faced in life. She firmly believes in constant reflection and that every day is a new day. One of her favorite quotes, we delight in the beauty of the butterfly, but rarely admit the changes it has gone through to achieve that beauty. By Maya Angelou, she serves as a reminder that each of us are constantly evolving into the person we are designed to be. As a wife, daughter, sister, friend, spiritual mother of many, and student of the School of Hard Knocks, she brings a wealth of life learned experiences to co uh, contribute thoughtfully to conversations about being a woman of color in America. So that is Miss Crystal Ricks. <laughs> and then we have Dr. Antoinette Lander. She is the Millsap Professor of Diversity and Multicultural Studies at the University of Missouri. Dr. Lander received her PhD from the University of Georgia. Her research focuses on the impact of skin tone and colorism on the individual relational and family health and functioning. She also examines how social cultural factors influence the sexual and romantic relationship behaviors of adolescents and young adults. Her research has appeared in journals and presented in domestic and international conferences. She has been featured in Ebony Magazine, Psychology Today, The New York Magazine, just to name a few. Dr. Lander has many accolades from being interviewed by internationally known magazines to her research being referenced in numerous textbooks, such as Perspectives of Psychology Science, Journal of Adolescence Health, 
Dr. Lander has been a recipient of many prestigious awards, such as the President's Award for Early Career Excellence from the University of Missouri System. She's a proud and active member of the Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority, and in her spare time, she enjoys international travel, listening to music, and shopping. So thank you guys so much for coming and being our special guests on today's show. Absolutely. So let's dive in, y'all. If you don't know, you're about to know. We're talking about skiing. <laughs> All right. So first things first, let's, let's, let's just talk basic real quick. Like when you think of the word skin, like what do you, what comes to mind, you know? For me, I think of blemishes and mm-hmm. imperfections, blindness, mm-hmm. moisturize, different complexions. Mm-hmm. And the way people like perceive you as a person. Yeah. It's amazing how you went to the negative first. <laughs> but I mean, most people do. Like they go to the, you know what I mean? To the negative instead of the positive, which is, you know, a whole nother conversation. But yeah. Any yeah. other thoughts? What comes to mind when you think of the word skin? Yeah. When I think of the word skin, I go back to um, like biology class where skin, mm-hmm. I thought this was so amazing that skin is like the largest body organ mm-hmm. yeah and I thought huh I guess I never thought about that and so then from that it's like for me when I think about my skin and how it is somehow protecting my organs from falling out um and all of that like how valuable skin is um but also at a like just a, a simple level my skin helps me to touch yeah. um and so when I think of skin I think of like it is this huge thing um, literally and figuratively, um, but also like how valuable it is um, to all of us and it helps you to connect to other people too. Yeah, and going back to that protective piece, I feel like because it is like a protective organ, it's like the first contact. It takes a lot of hits, you know, again, literally and figuratively because oftentimes we are, how we are perceived is directly connected to our skin, whether it's our skin color, whether it's the blemishes on our face, whether it's scars we may have or what have you, like literally our skin is the first representation oftentimes of who we are as people. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, oh, go ahead, Crystal. It, it's crazy how, although the skin is our largest barrier and it is our first line of defense, so to speak, it is also like so delicate. Like it doesn't take much for it to blemish, for it to scar. Like one accident, Lord forbid, and you can completely be changed. Uh, but yet we put so much stock in it, like as far as like how we perceive people as far as beauty and um, things of that nature. So I just think although it's all of those wonderful things, the thing about it is that it is delicate and it can change overnight, mm-hmm. literally uh, in an instant, but yet we put so much into it. Wow. Very true. Very true. So now what are your thoughts? What comes to mind when you think about your skin? For me, I, I think for me, it's just been a constant battle of finding the right products that work for my skin, um, even to the makeup that works for my skin, the, white, the right products to cleanse my skin. I've just, I, I have still not figured out like the right 
combination of items that work particularly for my skin. Um, when I was younger, uh, when, when I had acne in high school, it would leave scars and things on my face. And, and then going through different pregnancies with the hormones and different things, it's just been it's just been a constant battle for me. And then I see people like you, Maya, uh, with your skin, it looks flawless. Like your face looks flawless. I don't think you wear much makeup, if any at all. Um, but you don't have, it doesn't look like you have any blemishes on your face. And I, I want to someday be able to walk around without wearing makeup. Oh, wow. That's funny because I sometimes look I have to like encourage myself that it's okay to not wear makeup because I feel like like that's almost the standard when it comes to being a woman and being beautiful like oh I gotta put something on my face instead of just wash and go so thank you for adding that perspective because I don't always view it that way wow well my mom always told me when I was younger like in high school, make sure you wear some foundation and concealer when you go out in public. It just makes your skin look better. And so that is always stuck in my head. Mm. And I and I I still do it to this day. Wow. Wow. If I'm on camera maybe, but I'm like <laughs> wash and go. I'm like, I got to go. What about you ladies? What comes to mind when you think of your skin? I feel like it Go ahead, Dr. Landis. Yeah, so I guess when I think about my skin, um, this kind of sounds corny, I guess, but I think of the collective too. So like, mm -hmm. I think of like my skin and kind of where I stand on the skin tone continuum, but I also think about all the other black people and the beauty of all of us. Um, and so like when I'm looking in the mirror, obviously we all think we're beautiful. Um, but I also think like, isn't it amazing to be black? that I could be who I am. All, I mean, just looking at like the camera and the beauty of all of the skin shades, um, for me, it's like, that's pretty doggone cool. Um, now we have issues, which we'll talk about a little later, but just, just looking at my, you know, looking at my skin and I kind of see um, black beauty um, collectively, I guess. Wow, awesome. Go ahead, Crystal. Uh, to add to what she was saying, I, I definitely feel like my perception of my skin has evolved and is evolving. But I think for the most part of my life, I have felt like it's been a cloak of invisibility um, mm -hmm. to a certain degree. Um, uh, there were spaces and places where I think I didn't feel seen or even heard for that matter. And mm -hmm. um, because like, I mean, you can see my skin is a deeper hue of, of chocolate and it's taken a while to understand like, you know, the beauty of that. And there's multiple shades, of course, in my family, it's in many black families, mm -hmm. right? And um, there's different ways that you're taught to perceive your skin versus the reality of it. So I definitely have evolved in my sense of that. But I think for the most part, my experience has been that cloak of invisibility almost. Wow. People's perceptions of themselves is just so interesting. And I know our experiences often shape that, like what you were saying, as far as how you feel, you know, maybe being a result of, of how you were even treated or engaged with, you know, but even just looking at you now, I'm like, there's such a glow about you. Like I'm looking at your skin tone and it's like radiating. So it's just always interesting how people view themselves versus how other people view them, you know? Wow. <laughs> 
So anything else when it comes to your skin? Well, where do you all think these perceptions about our skin came from? If it's, you know, how we perceive ourselves or how we may perceive other skin, like where do you think that comes from? I, I think for number one, I think family plays a huge role. Sometimes we don't, right? We don't, we don't include family in this conversation, but oh boy, does huge. mom, dad, sisters, brothers, huge aunties, uncles, grandma, who always has something to say, they all play a role in kind of how we see ourselves in addition to media, right, magazines and things like that. But I think kind of at an individual level, your day to day, um, your family has a huge impact on um, your skin, your skin, how you see it and the behaviors and attitudes you have around it. Yes, I totally agree. Um, my, one of my younger brothers, he's a darker complexion and he used to call me, uh, he used to say that I was a peach person. You're peach. You're not black. You're a peach person. <laughs> and it was just so silly to me. He would call one of my other brothers who's a little lighter than me. Both of us were peach people. We weren't black. We were peach. And then I also think, like you said, besides the perceptions of society and what we see on media, um, the school system plays a huge role too on how you see, mm. see yourself. I just remember growing up and I grew up with mostly um, white um, schools. It was majority white. It wasn't very diverse. So I was always like one of two black students in, in the class from K through eighth grade. And I just remember thinking as a child that, man, I, I wonder what it would be like if I was white. And I kind of almost wanted to be white because they seemed very carefree. Um, their hair could be messy and they were still considered beautiful. Going to the pool would be a big ordeal for us as black <laughs> women. You know, my mom, <laughs> she was like, no, you gotta put something on that hair. And then when you, you would come home from the pool, wash the chlorine out. It was a huge process. And for white girls, it just seemed very carefree, like just jump in the pool. I can just wash my hair. It's all good. Like it just seemed more, more carefree and easy. So sometimes I think as a child, I would say, I wonder like what it would be like if I was just white. Wow. I, I think one thing I feel that is a huge impact that the, that you all talked about was about media representation or the lack thereof. Like I think about my favorite shows growing up and my favorite books and the fact that in most of those cases, like I found my friends in books. So I, you know, and I know some of us can probably say that as more introverted, introverted people. And most of the characters in the books were they didn't look like me. They weren't uh, from the same backgrounds as me. And not, and it, even some of those shows that um, I watched, there was no representation there. And so you almost begin to, there was like an imp, like a implicit type communication that this is what it is. This is the, this is the, the measure of a woman or the measure of a person of worth or anything of that nature. And so you began to actually internalize, or at least I'm just speak to me. I began to internalize what it means to be a black woman, but a darker skinned black woman. Um, 
because of those that lack of representation in books and also in that media. Mm-hmm. Wow, y'all, some good stuff. We, I feel like, okay, we got, we're gonna go, we're gonna deviate just a minute, and then we're gonna come back because this is some good stuff. I want to expound even more, but let's let's jump a little bit to skincare. And I know, um, Toya, you were talking a little bit about this earlier, um, just how you're oftentimes trying to find the right products, the right um, makeup, things of that nature for your skin. So let's talk a little bit about why is skin, and we're gonna add in hair too, because they're so closely connected, you know, um, especially when you're talking about beauty in general, and we could do a whole nother episode on hair, but we're gonna throw that in the mix too. But like, why is skin and hair care important, especially for black women or for women of color? It's definitely because of how society perceives you. Um, If your hair and your skin looks good, people will treat you differently. Um, And even it goes down to even some of the hairstyles that you choose to wear. For example, um, on job interviews for me, my, and I'm not going to say who told me this, but if I'm being interviewed by a Black woman, I've, I've always been told to wear my hair in a bun. Like, don't let them know that you have long hair. Wear it in a bun. And uh, if it's a black man or a, a white male or female, wear your hair straight. And so I've always stuck to that um, <laughs> to this day. Like, if I know who's interviewing me, that determines the way my hair will look. Now, after I get the job, I'm good. I'll wear my hair any way that I want. But I definitely think um, it goes into some of the stereotypes that society has put on us. You have to look a certain way so that they don't fear you or don't think that you're an angry Black woman. Wow. Or that they're not threatened by you. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Very good. Anyone else? Why is hair care and skin care so important? For, for me, it's good because, I mean, I know black doesn't crack, but um, having good skin, a good skincare regimen helps that process even more. So as we age, um, so for me, it's just kind of like every morning, every night, putting on moisture, not anything super mm-hmm. expensive, right? Mm-hmm. What I get, I won't say the product because they're not paying me to say it, but um, <laughs> what I get from Target and um, I put it on my face, put on night, put on the serum, and just like as I'm in my, you know, 30s, um, that although we can all lean on the black dust and crack, moisturizing and things like that matter um, so that your skin can stay flexible. You Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, Crystal, did we lose you? Go ahead, say the first part you said again. I said, for me, skincare is about self-care. It's kind of like a way that I get to retreat to myself and take care of myself. So Mm -hmm. I I would say hair care is also that extension too. Absolutely, and I was was actually was gonna chime in on that too. It's definitely an extension of self-care, but it's also an extension of self-esteem. I feel... I feel more confident. I feel, um, you know, uh, more embracing and accepting of myself when I care for myself. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so, really, I think learning for me it has been a journey of of of, of leading back to 
how I perceive myself versus how others perceive me is, you know, being the reason, if you will, behind my skincare, my hair care, all of that. So very, very good stuff. So, um, and, and you shared a little bit of this, Dr. Lander, as far as what your uh, regimen is, but does anyone want to share some specifics to what their hair or their skincare regimen is? You don't have the name products, but, you know, what, what do you do and how often do you do it to maintain, you know, your, your standard, your personal standard of beauty? I use um, Olay cleanser for my face twice a day and the moisturizer twice a day. And as far as hair care, it depends on the way that I'm wearing it. Like now it's like curly. Um, so I, I use a lot of leave-in conditioners and um, shea products and Cantu products. But when, it, when I wear it straight, I don't put all that um, stuff in it because it weighs it down. I need yeah. some good leave-in conditioner recommendations. I'm going to I think for me, like with my hair care, I have outsourced my hair care. Like I definitely can do some, some things on my own, but I have acknowledged that I love natural hair. I love my hair natural, but it makes me happier and be able to better manage my time to have someone who is a professional to mm -hmm. care for my hair. So I put, that's a bill. So every once a month, at least maybe every three weeks, I go and see my wonderful uh, hairstylist and she takes care of me. And in between, especially when we were quarantining, I did my own thing. I used design essential products. And I also have a friend um, named uh, with Elodia Hair Care. She has a, her own product. I'm going to give her that shout out because she's an amazing person. All right. and, it's, and it's based on science. It's based on science and research. So mm -hmm. she has a great product, which I also use. And I invested in a hair steamer. So I mm -hmm. get to do my own hair steaming treatments at home because when you have natural hair and especially when you have that gorgeous, coily, curly hair you need to keep it really hydrated and really deeply moisturized because my hair is like this long but it's double the length it's like a lot of um um, um you know things shrinkage. a lot of shrinkage thank mm -hmm. you for that like, a lot of shrinkage going on there um so I can do some things on my own but I do choose to make my life a little bit easier and go to someone who I love and and do a great job on my hair as far as my skin <laughs> um I do love skincare, you guys. I do love to study it and all of that. And I think it's pretty simple. Um, and last year, I started getting some changes in my skin. I noticed that I was starting to get some breakouts when normally I had not broken out. And mm -hmm. I just said, you know what? I don't have to suffer like this. They have professionals. So I went and saw a dermatologist and she was able to help me pinpoint. And I didn't know that insurance helps, especially if you're having acne, that's actually considered a medical condition. Oh, wow. And so I had never dealt with acne, acne in my life. So I had no idea what to do. So I ended up going to a dermatologist and she gave me a very simple skincare regimen. And I also ended up adding something called a retinol to my skincare, which has mm -hmm. been transformative. And no, I know as black women, sometimes I know black doesn't crack, um, but I found that that has completely transformed mm -hmm. my skin. So that, um, that retinol and uh, also uh, vitamin C and sunscreen every single day. So after I washed my face, vitamin C serum, sunscreen. Um, even though we're black and I've definitely noticed, I've always used sunscreen since I was really young and I have seen a difference. Like, I don't know, maybe you all think I'm a baby, but I'm really not. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm taking all these tips. I'm like the schema, the vitamin C, girl, some good stuff. Dr. Landa, you got anything? Um, so I talked about my skincare. Um, quarantine really opened your eyes on the hair care situation because I would go to like Crystal, I would go to a stylist uh, once every two weeks. Um, and in between, I would wash my hair. But after quarantine happened and um, stylists were closed, I wash, I generally wash my hair once a week um, and use, again, I'm not gonna name the products, but um, <laughs> use products to keep my hair moisturized. I, my biggest tip is wrap your hair at night, put, put your hair up um, so that it doesn't dry out, which I think all of us know that now. Um, but even in quarantine, it's like, part of my self-care is to make sure that I continue to keep up with my hair care, with my skin. So even putting on a little lipstick too during quarantine, like I wasn't going anywhere, but for some, for some reason it made me feel like, okay, oh, yes. yeah, this is oh, a yeah. new day, even though I'm going straight to Zoom, right? Um, I, th I think that kind of helped too. But yeah, so um, hair care regimen is just um, washing my hair, obviously making sure that it's clean, but wrapping it up at night. God, good stuff. I, I have to deviate just, just a little bit because this natural <laughs> hair care piece is huge, especially for women of color, it's, yeah. uh, like especially. And so, I mean, literally when it comes to natural hair care, and you, you did a great job of, of sharing some tips, Crystal, um, and you as well, um, Toya, like, are there any tips like that you have just for caring for your hair? And it may, even if you, I don't know, do you have natural hair, Dr. Lander, or is your hair processed or? Yep, it's relaxed. Okay, so any hair care tips that you have, feel free to share because there's a lot there as far as care is concerned. And even, you know, perceptions as it relates to our natural hair, like, mm -hmm. you know, is it okay to wear it? Is it not okay to wear it? And, and you know, not just, things that you may hear inside your own, uh, outside your race, but also inside your race, you know, like, you know, I know there are, you know, uh, older generations that have blatantly said, similar to what you were saying, Toya, like, don't go to no interview with your natural hair out, like, you better <laughs> press it, braid it, something, put it up in the bun, something, but don't you, don't you do that, you know, and it's like, okay, this is how it grew out of my head, but, and I understand why they're saying that, you know, they're really trying to look out for your best interest, but at the same time, the things that take root in you um, over the course of hearing those things throughout your life, mm -hmm. you know, cause you to perceive your hair, right. your natural hair a different way. Mm -hmm. So any, any thoughts or tips as it relates to natural hair before we get on into colorism? Yeah. I say, give yourself, give ourselves grace. Like, mm. like I literally cut all of my hair off in college. I will get pictures and I scream because I can't believe I walked around looking like that. But I didn't think about it at the time. At the time, it wasn't even a thing because I just felt liberated. That's how mm -hmm. I felt because I just decided that, you know what? I don't want to duck off in the bathroom every once a month to relax my hair and have all these questions going on. So I would just say grace is key because we mm -hmm. have to recognize that we had not been taught how to care for our natural hair. Mm -hmm. We had not. Like, even though we are who we are and it grows out of our head, we were taught to tame it and, 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 and mm -hmm. do different things to it other than do what it naturally needs. And so 
I think it's important to learn about our hair, learn about your hair. How is it composed and what does it need? Because guess what? When it gets what it needs, it thrives. It grows long, it grows thick. And again, it depends on your genetics too, right? Because Mm -hmm. everybody's not going to have long hair and that's perfectly okay. That's perfectly okay. And I think it's about recognizing what comes out of your head if you're natural and accepting it and giving yourself grace to learn. So I have Mm -hmm. learned that my hair wants lots of moisture. It wants lots of water. It wants um, coconut oil. It wants jojoba oil. It wants whatever kind of, it likes those oils. Mm -hmm. And it also likes mousse. And I did not know that for a long time. It loves mousse. Mousse pops those curls out really nicely. And those low contact, um, those styles that you want to touch all day, but allows you to kind of keep your hair away and like mm-hmm. really protect it. Like twist tooth transfers are great for me because I get several styles out of that. Mm-hmm. But, but, and you, of course, once you really get your hair the way you, it, it's supposed to be, especially if you're natural and you learn the products that work for you and you're consistent in using it, you're going to want to touch your hair all day, every day. You're going to mm-hmm. want to. And so just kind of like uh, recognizing what your hair needs and giving yourself grace to go through that crazy period of not knowing and and there's a lot of people out there who've done the research so I say do the work and you know connect with some people who have done it and don't be afraid to try out some things but in like that product chunky part it goes out like and you find out I have like three products I use on my hair that's it you know and I will be happy I like the fact that she was saying oh they haven't sponsored me so I'm gonna (laughs) 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 I'm gonna hold back the specific ones but but yeah like I think like I would honestly say, because honestly, I've outsourced it. Yes, it is simpler, but I can still handle, do it uh, and care for it on my own too. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very, very good. It, I think it's important. One thing you shared to realize that not everyone's hair is the same, even if it is natural, like you have actually have different types of hair in your own head. You really have to kind of figure out like, you know, what your own personal hair needs. And it is a matter of trial and error. So definitely give yourself grace. So before we transition into colorism, if you haven't already, and I think some have, so feel free if, if you don't have any additional tips to share, but one final final tip that you would give regarding skin and or health hair care excuse me just take care of the skin that you have because you're only given that one skin for your entire life so just really spend some time taking care of your skin and your hair very good. Yep, I agree with that. And yeah, do what works for you. One of the things that I've noticed recently, um, at least in the last few years, is um, on the opposite side of the um, relaxing your hair is this huge, right, natural hair movement. And oftentimes Black folks look at folks who relax their hair like, what you doing? Oh my yeah. gosh, that's the worst thing in the world, right? Um, but whatever, do whatever works for you. Exactly. Um, exactly. And if you tried it and it failed and you decide to do, like, that's fine too, right? We are all kind of different and unique and you kind of love the skin you're in, but also love the way that you do your own hair and, and keep it moving. Yeah, and once you find something that you are comfortable with, it makes you all the more confident, which makes you all the more beautiful. Like that is the goal, finding what works for you. So very good. You're not a bad person either way of the spectrum, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and the last thing I would add is inside out, you know, Mm -hmm. what you eat, what you do, it it, it does matter and it comes out. Like I I used to avoid eating nuts, for example, because it, it makes you gain weight. 
but I found out that's the best thing to eat, like a nice almond, like a few mm-hmm. handful, like inside out what you eat, what you drink, reflects in your hair and in your skin. Very true. And mine piggybacks off of that. Um, and actually, I was just talking with my aunt, one of my aunts about this a uh, couple of weeks ago. And, and we were talking about because I, I just turned 40 this year. So she was like, I have any tips for you. She's like three words, moisturize, moisturize, <laughs> moisturize. <laughs> so I, you know, and I, you know, I, I do moisturize pretty significantly, but really trying to step that up and not just from the outside, but also from the inside. You, y'all, if anybody knows me, they know I'm going to ask you, are you hydrated? <laughs> Drink your water because it, you know, moisturizing from the inside out helps all the more and not just moisturizing your skin, but moisturizing your hair. Very similar to what you were sharing, Crystal, as far as, you know, if it's steam, if it's water, if it's oils, what have you, but moisturize to keep that elasticity so all right so let's dive on into colorism good people first we got to get a very um short history lesson if you will um so i'm gonna i'm gonna put dr lander on the spot since this is your area of expertise if you could give us a definition of skin colorism and kind of share with us like the history of it if you will or how it kind of evolved into what it is today Okay, so um, colorism is preference for or discrimination against individuals based on the lightness or the darkness of their skin tone. And we're all black folks, so so we understand light skin, medium skin, dark skin, right? So um, colorism would be discrimination based on, on those, what I call a skin tone continuum. So if we thought about the history, so the history with black folks actually is traced back to slavery. Mm. believe it or not. And so one of the ideals of plantation owners to create strife and conflict within the Black community, Black slaves, was to create this skin tone color hierarchy. So let's treat lighter skinned um, slaves differently than darker skinned slaves and to make them hate each other in a way, right? And so um, historically, they would talk about lighter skinned slaves who worked in the house, right? You call those folks the house workers. Maybe they had opportunities to read, not a whole lot, um, but they had opportunities to be closer to the family indoors, whereas darker skinned slaves were those who were outside toiling the soil. And that created, right, some conflict um, between slaves and that was part of the plan. And so even into after emancipation, into um, kind of the early 19th century, you even saw um, high society black groups. I won't call them all out, but there are many um, who um, continue to perpetuate colorism, right? So even after we were free, this wasn't a white man saying this. This was folks who looked like us who created organizations that um, based on their skin tone, it determined whether you were light enough to um, be part of the the organization. So for instance, they had, I'm sure all of you have heard of the brown bag test, right? Where they would put a brown paper bag right next to your face. If you were darker, that meant you couldn't enter into this high society. Black folks. Um, And then there was something else called like the blue vein society. So if you looked at your veins, you all can kind of look at your veins now if you want it. And if you can see your blue veins, then that meant you were light enough to be part of those groups. If not, you were too dark, so you were excluded. And so, and again, I like to emphasize, these were black folks 
doing this and perpetuating colorism. And so even into, you know, moving into today, we still see those things. Um, now it's what I consider a dirty little secret in the black community. We all know it exists. We all talk about it oftentimes in our day-to-day -day lives, even when we're describing people, that black, that dark-skinned girl over there, the light-skinned girl there, uh, why she dating, why they dating, who they, what, what, mm -mm -mm. right? Or why are you acting light-skinned? Why are you acting dark-skinned? Oh, you're pretty for a dark-skinned girl. All this kind of stuff that we do constantly in our conversations um, continues to perpetuate it, and we see it within families too. Um, so that's kind of a short history, um, particularly with Black folks in America. And it's still alive today. In my research, I always like to reiterate that colorism exists. And in some ways, it is so similar to how it was even during, during slavery and thereafter. Yeah, just last, I think, was it last week or a couple of weeks ago? I don't know if any of you watch uh, the documentary show Black Love on OWN. There was a, a lot of conversation about that because in the teaser for the this coming season, it looked like all of the couples that were being featured were light-skinned women um, yeah. with darker-skinned husbands. And so it already kind of set up or perpetuated that perception that you were talking about. But look, before we dive into this any further, I have to ask Dr. Lander, what made you study this as a as a lighter skin, fairer skin, you know, light hair, straight hair woman of color? What made you want to specialize in this? Yeah, so for me, it's like personal experience. So I grew up in southern Louisiana, Latoya. I don't know if you have any experiences that you want to share about your life, but um, I grew up in southern Louisiana. I knew immediately, although I couldn't um, define it back then, but I knew that there were privileges that I had. And it wasn't because obviously I was a smart kid. Obviously I was student of the year. I deserved all of that kind of stuff. But there were a lot of privileges that I had just by being kind of my light-skinned self that my friends did not get. And I thought, this is strange, right? And it also caused, like I would see, maybe not necessarily with me, but with my friends, like conflict in girl groups because somebody light skin and somebody dark skin and then a medium skin, you know, it was just like a constant thing in my life. And even when I went to um, college, I had a host, decided to go to historic, historically black college, Grambling State University in Louisiana. Yay. Go Tigers. Um, but even when I went to Grambling, I remember people saying like, wow, you're, I mean, obviously you could have gone to um, all of the PWIs, you had scholarships, but you're going to Gremlin? That's for dark-skinned Black people. You should go to Southern. That's where the light-skinned folks go, right? Wow. And I thought like, wow, like this is crazy. This is some crazy stuff. And this wasn't that long ago. Um, and so I knew that when I get an opportunity to get a PhD, somehow I would find my way to researching this. It doesn't have, you know, there's not a whole lot of researchers out there um, researching this stuff. A lot of people kind of talk about it from their personal experiences. Um, but they said, when I get an opportunity to do this, like I have to study this. Like I need people to come into my research lab because I, I know my experiences and I know my experiences of friends. Um, but it makes a huge difference when I can say hundreds and hundreds of people feel this. And um, a lot of my work talks about, my recent work too, talks about the trauma of it, right? Mm -hmm. Skin tone trauma, which I, I can talk about a little later. Yeah, but that, you, you actually segued into my next question and you answered it beautifully. How has colorism Im impacted you? So Crystal or Toya, how has colorism impacted you personally? 
I definitely think like what, what Dr. Landers said is it is a privilege, um, a type of privilege to be light skinned. And even as a, a child, you don't necessarily understand why you do get certain benefits or why teachers like you a little bit more as opposed to a darker skinned girl. Um, they make assumptions too based on your skin color or they may get more discipline um, because they're darker skinned and they, they think maybe they're more aggressive or just different things like that. But I, I've always had issues with uh, black girls growing up, always. I had the, oh, you, you, you think you're too good comments, you're stuck up, why you talk like that, why do you talk proper, um, you know, just, and, and I would get a lot of attention from boys um, growing up, even though I, I really wasn't into boys until I got to high school, um, but it was easy to get the attention from different boys growing up. And I think that's why a lot of girls didn't like me um, because, you know, it, I, it appeared that I could get, get attention from boys easily. And I think it caused a lot of strife and hate. And when I did try to have um, girlfriends that were darker complexion um, in college, I, I would say college was the first time I actually had darker complexion friends, um, there was still strife um, in the friendship. And it was generally geared towards, oh, who are you going out with this weekend? Oh, you get to go out on another date with someone else. And then eventually um, the hate from just me getting attention from boys or whatever um, kind of destroyed the friendship. It was almost like a jealousy type of thing. And then um, I only had friends that looked more like me that were light skinned up until I, I met, you know, the track stars um, in my life group, the track stars wives, you know, we have different complexions in our girl group of friends, but it took all the way into my adulthood to actually be able to find friends of, that were black that did not have my same complexion. Yeah, and it's and it's not to say you know, and they say this not to say that um, lighter skinned folks don't experience some uh, even colorism themselves, right? One of the main things is that people often question the authenticity of their blackness. Right? Are you really black? Mm -hmm. um, and you can see with um, currently, I'm one of the candidates for uh, vice president. That's the constant question with her. President Obama was the constant question. Are you really black? Like. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, generally speaking, lighter skinned folks do have those privileges. Um, and it, it's acknowledged and I acknowledge it even in my work. Yeah, wow. Go ahead, Crystal. I know earlier I said that I felt like when I think about my skin and the way it's the perception of it, it's like that invisibility. And I have no better way of explaining it than it feels like for me, I felt like a, a supporting character in my own life. So instead of being the leading lady, my more lighter skinned friends were the leading ladies and I was more the supporting character, you know? And I think what comes to my mind really is I, I have that whole classic, you're pretty for a brown skinned girl. But even at that time, I didn't think I was pretty at all, you know, because I didn't see myself in the magazines or see myself in those the shows and books that I watched and read 
And I just, and then I, I intentionally allow people who are more societally beautiful, take that leading role and have that space. So I didn't, I'm not someone who kind of fights for attention. I'm not. Um, So I just kind of let it be what it is. Like, you know, we go into a spot, they're going to see her first. They're going to see them first. And that's just the way it is. I'm just going to kind of fade off into the shadows and, and, and do whatever that kind of, and that was my kind of response or coping mechanism to it. And when I look back at it now, I, I know there was a, there's so many different factors that, that, determines how we look at it right like one of my cousins I absolutely adore she has this beautiful really dark rich skin and my aunt called her black beauty and that was her nickname and that but I didn't have a nickname like that (laughs) you know so it's kind of like you know and and I could recognize her beauty and I could recognize her as black beauty and I know why my aunt did that and I never had that type of like counter mm-hmm. thing for me. And so I remember being very invisible, like in high school, all the light skinned girls getting all the love and, and I never developed any envy for them. I just recognized my space and my place in the world, so to speak. And so even now in my adulthood, I'm wor- working out of that box that I allowed myself to get in all my in so many parts of my life and and to not be the supporting character in my own life like come on if if in no other space you are the leading lady it should be in your own life story right Mm -hmm. and I know it's kind of late to learn that but I feel like and I wonder how many girls that are out in Facebook that's watching this right now feel like that who can kind of articulate it it being like a supporting character role especially if you have lighter skinned friends who you love and adore and even family members because my family is a huge right? It's like a very nice hue of um, different things. And so I definitely think that's the best way I can explain it for myself. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that. And even, you know, today, like, well, I know last season when we talked about beauty, you were one of the first people that I talked with about the show. And, you know, we knew leading up to the show, like, hey, we need more representation of different women of different hues. And, we didn't get it. It was like, I think maybe like our third show ever, third episode or what have you. So we just couldn't pin down anyone, you know. And even today, we wanted to be more intentional with that. And we still miss the mark, I feel like. I feel like we need a broader spectrum of women because the the Black race is like just incredibly dynamic and incredibly diverse. And so I feel like this is another conversation that we need to continue to have, you know, to incorporate, you know, different perspectives from people that have had different experiences because we haven't, you know, we're not all the same. So I really appreciate you sharing your story regarding that and being, you know, patient with us as we share our light skin privilege. <laughs> I was like, I feel like a book, you know, how they have the book white privilege. I feel like we need to write a book. I feel a book coming on light skin privilege. We've got to be woke in this area too. Honestly, we do. Oh, and, so. and, we, and, we, and we have to make space for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I recognize that I definitely may have had, may have some traumatic experiences but Toya shared some pretty traumatic experiences also Mm -hmm. and I think both of those things are valid and we are collectively responsible for that as women as feminist women or whatever you want to call yourselves we should be supporting each other and recognizing and uh, the space that we each take up and what that experience is like very true very true and I I think that both of your stories is like an example of this skin tone trauma Mm-hmm. that you know we talk about racial trauma and it has been a conversation especially over the last few months 
Um, but boy, when people talk about colorism and skin tone in their lives from being little kids, like, I mean, I can travel around the world and have conversations and it never fails. There are tears, there are intense emotional connections to times when people felt I idolized and are um, discriminated against, right? From family, from friends, from boyfriends, from wannabe boyfriends, from wannabe girlfriends. And I think all of us, um, beyond our race, have this skin tone trauma that impacts our attitudes, our behaviors, and ultimately our health. And I think that's the detrimental consequences of colorism is that lower self-esteem, more depression, higher anxiety, let alone all the other things um, that happens with colorism when it comes to school system, marriage, um, relationships, things like that. Um, and really calling that out, I think, helps to move along the conversation and say, this is trauma. Like my parents, I love you, but this is what happened <laughs> when I grew up. Brother, I love you, but when you used to tease me and say this, that meant something. That is trauma that you have caused me. And, and the Black community as a collective is, trauma, is traumatized by, again, beyond race. Race is important. Racial trauma is important. But there's this unique things of um, skin tone trauma that I, I has to be acknowledged and talked about. Very true. Very true, yes. Dr. Lander. And you actually, both of you and Crystal did an excellent job of kind of transitioning into our final question for today. I feel like, gosh, we need to have a whole nother episode about this because we literally just scratched the surface. But... Hopefully it was a great appetizer and a great conversation starter for our listeners, you know, in their own families and their own friendships and relationships to like have these conversations because it's just as important, you know, as the social injustice conversations that we're having, like we, we cannot continue to inflict trauma upon one another, regardless of what, regardless of what end of the spectrum you're on. So um, in closing, what are some steps that we can take to actively address colorism in the black community? I think it starts with within our community. Let's stop with the labels. Let's stop with the high yellows, the red bone, light bright, pretty for a dark skin. Um, the questions, are you mixed? What are you mixed with? You gotta be mixed with something. Look at your hair. Your hair doesn't look like the other black girl girl's hair. So what are you mixed with? Um, just stop with the labels in the black community um, because in the, in the black community, that's pretty, pretty, pretty huge. And I also believe that it starts in the school system, making sure that teachers are treating all students with the same type of equity, um, rewards, punishments are all the same for all kids. Um, don't differentiate um, with how you treat um, your students. Very good, very good. And I will also say, um, be honest with yourself. I know for me, I have to be honest with myself when certain things that are superficial fuel me more than they should. And for a while it was my race or my skin tone, I should say. When I, when I you know, found myself not liking the way my body looked or the way my hair looked, I found solace in the tone of my skin. You know what I mean? Or my uh, level of education or what have you. So like really being mindful of those things and even just, even with hair, for me, I'm, I, I'm all about protective styles, whether it's a weave, whether it's some braids, whether it's some twists, like I'm about protective styles. But I had, I had come to a place where I wore weaves a lot. 
And um, because they were super convenient. And it, I mean, you literally like, in the words of Beyonce, woke up like this, you know? And so, but, but I got to a place where they were addictive for me because I did not like the way my own hair looked when I did not have them, when I was between hairstyles, if you will. And so really acknowledging, okay, what is fueling me? And what is fueling my perception of beauty and my perception of identity? And what steps do I need to take to really love and appreciate who I am from the inside out? Like, period. So, yeah. Anyone else? I And lastly, I mean, I totally agree with what you guys said and you wrapped it up really well. Um, and I would say, just generally speaking with the Black community, look at colorism as a social justice issue. How about that? Um, all of the jokes that we tell each other, all of the um, team hashtag team light skin, team dark skin on Twitter, TikToks of um, light skin folks act like da da da, or dark skin folks act like da da da. Oh, it's funny, it's funny, he he he. But what I'm screaming is that those jokes turn into negative outcomes for us as a community. Right, so families talking to your kids, actually parents show differences, black families show differences to their kids based on skin tone. My research has shown this. And guess what? All those jokes, going to the hospital, check in behind the ears and the fingertips to see what the skin tone of a baby is gonna be, right? That is, that is colorism playing out in all of our lives. And we need to recognize that as a social justice issue because maybe you would take it more seriously. Maybe you'll take it more seriously as I'm screaming, you're harming your kids, you're harming the community, we're harming each other um, by doing that. Woo. Wow. Everything you all said was great. But the, on the only thing I want to lift up is representation. I think that as, uh, as teachers, as parents, as uh, whatever we are in the world and the space we take up that representation matters and we have to make space for different um, forms of beauty which is wrapped up in different skin tones and different features and different hair textures and different hairstyles and there's not just one way of it um, being um, being beautiful and so it's important to make sure that our our nieces, our daughters, our God, whomever we have to impact that they can see themselves in a book that you're reading to them, that they see themselves in the, in the media and that they recognize that they are beautiful just as they are. Very good. Thank you, ladies, so much. Uh, as we wrap up, we have our noble character acknowledgements, and we usually actually uh, ask our special guests to um, share their acknowledgements. So would both of you like to share who your noble character acknowledgements are for this episode? <laughs> I tried not to be like typical, but I could not get away from this. And But I have to make my mind to my mom, Teresa Ann Hampton. She's the most incredible woman that exists on this planet. She has endured so much in her life. And there are so many ways that she has been able to love me that she did not even have an example of, mm. you, know, you know, and her generosity, her love, her, um, 
her strength is what I admire the most. And I asked her, I always kind of like try to get little snippets from her. I said, well, mom, what are the top three things you feel like you learned in life? And I asked her this like a few months ago and she told me uh, three things. She said, be generous, be kind and celebrate the success of others. And Mm -hmm. I just thought that that was just something, I mean, simple, but yet profound to hold on to about how she found out how to get through life in in the way that she um, um, experienced it. And then kind of sharing that with me to know about like, especially that part about celebrating others. Like I really believe it's important that we are happy for each other when great things happen and we mourn with each other when bad things happen too. Very good. You're definitely a reflection of her crystal. So shout out, yes, shout out to Mama Hampton. Dr. Lander? Yeah, so I'll say shout out to my mom too, Joyce Landar. Um, <laughs> but so, so my person is um, Britt Bennett, who wrote the recent novel, New York Times bestseller, The Vanishing Half. Mm. If you haven't read that, I scream to the rooftops, please read that novel. Mm. Um, and the novel really talks, I mean, colorism <laughs> um, all throughout it. And, it. and so she chronicles the stories of um, these twin sisters who, it's really, really interesting, um, who they grew up in Louisiana um, and they lived in kind of this life of, uh, in some cases, privilege, but their skin tone didn't, um, didn't necessarily help their father who was lynched and things. I won't tell the whole story, but, um, and it also kind of walks you through kind of this intergenerational transmission of colorism. And so as they think about their own kids and one of the sisters lives her life as a white person passing mm-hmm. um, and the other lives it as a, a, a black person. And it's, it's a fascinating story. And so as I was kind of thinking about kind of coming on and having these conversations, I thought one of the things that Um, has really kind of gotten me to where I am is through reading. And um, boy, this novel, you will not be able to put it down. Britt Bennett. Um, Thank you. Excellent. So you want to close us out with our BE challenge and next week's teaser? Sure. So last week's BE challenge was to identify a relationship that needs more quarantine proofing and take action steps towards improving that relationship. Um, Maya, you want to share how, how did your BE challenge go? Absolutely. Are you talking about for this week's BE challenge? The last, last week's BE challenge. Oh, how did it go? You know what? I did not see any responses from it. So I'm hoping that people took us up on it and actually did take some steps to quarantine, proof their relationships, but I have not seen anything. So I'll let you know though, if I see otherwise. Okay. So this week's BE challenge is to adapt a new habit for your skin, your skin or your hair care regimen or identify perception regarding colorism and take steps towards dispelling it. So that is our BE, um, BE's challenge for this week. Next week, we are talking about single Black female We'll have two more special guests next week. Um, Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on the podcast app. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook at Becoming Eva Today. That's one word. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Becoming Eva Today. And thank you guys for joining us on our episode today.
Thank you so much. And we will see y'all soon. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Click subscribe on YouTube and subscribe to the podcast. Check us out at becomingevatoday.com or email us at becomingevatoday.com. See you next time.